0: BCNA's Helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au.
1: Breast Cancer Network Australia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. This episode is produced on Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. Let's be upfront about working after a breast cancer diagnosis. There are some important initial and ongoing conversations that you need to have with your employer To ensure that you get the support that you are legally entitled to, but also the support that you need. And it's different for everyone. Joining us for this episode of Upfront is Greg Smith and Lisa Edgar. Greg has more than 20 years' experience in executive coaching, mentoring and human resources. Lisa is a BCNA member and was working as an HR manager for three years when she was diagnosed with early breast cancer. She needed to stop working to focus on her recovery. And whilst the support from her employer was good initially her need for flexibility in returning to work wasn't as supported. This episode of Upfront About Breast Cancer is an unscripted conversation with our guests. The topics discussed are not intended to replace medical advice, nor necessarily represent the full spectrum of experience or clinical option. So please exercise self-care when listening to this podcast, as the content may be triggering or upsetting for some. Welcome to you both, Lisa When you first were diagnosed, tell us how your employer supported you. I had a really supportive team that I was working with
2: and everyone uh, showed a lot of care and concern for me. And um, there was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of support offered, um, you know, people wanting to know what they could do for me. And... um, I initially told um, a close colleague of mine about it. I spoke with her about it, and I said that anyone else is welcome to know, but I won't be communicating directly with people because it was a bit much for me to do that. Um, and my manager was the CEO of this medium-sized enterprise, and I was able to um, have contact with him as well. And uh, yeah, that that was that worked well and. I really wanted my message to get out to people because I thought the health message was an important one to say, you know, do your medical checks. So I was sort of thinking of other people at that point, thinking, gosh, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. So um, I was very keen for people to know what was going on. And because I knew I had to focus on me at that point in time, then, you know, it had to be explained, you know, my absence had to be explained as well.
1: So you took leave off work or did you work during your treatment?
2: I, as soon as I was diagnosed, I actually took time off. I didn't feel that I could do my job. Um, uh, I didn't have the emotional energy to do my job and my headspace was elsewhere. So I was um, accepting of the diagnosis. I understood that. But I also knew that to focus on me and, you know, the family with two primary school age kids, I did not have capacity to do my HR manager job. Uh, So I took time off initially to get some surgery done and then to understand where to from there. Um, After surgery though, um, you know, when the pathology was done, the whole course of treatment was sort of a little bit longer. So, um, six months of chemotherapy and 25 sessions of radiotherapy, and then some more surgery and ongoing Herceptin, um, for for the HER2 positive, um, diagnosis meant that I just could not, um, do the job as well. So I took a longer time off.
1: Mm. Greg, there are so many, uh, possible scenarios for people in a work situation. How difficult is it to have that initial conversation with an employer? Lisa obviously had a a very good experience. Is that always the case?
3: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think uh, it's probably, that conversation's probably the first of quite many uh, that uh, a person's been diagnosed with breast cancer might have. Um, And as you said in your introduction, everyone's experience is different and each individual's will have their own way of, of dealing with this. Um, but that said, if I generalised, uh, and I guess I'd say this for, any, for really anyone with an illness, not just breast cancer, it's best to communicate as much as you can that you feel comfortable doing and doing it face to face. Now. As I certainly understand listening to Lisa and she dealt with it the way that she felt was appropriate for herself, which is the right, right thing to do. But I think if I just generalised, I'd be saying that is to try and have the conversation face to face and as soon as possible with your employer as a general piece of advice. And I guess to perhaps assume positive, positive intent. So go into that conversation assuming that the support will be there. Um, if it's not, that's an entirely different matter. But go into the conversation with as much as you can a positive mindset and assume positive intent to come out of the conversation because how the employer and the employee approach a situation like this and how they conduct the communications can make all the difference.
1: Yes, and Lisa said that she was very transparent and upfront about what she needed as far as time off. I take it that that isn't always the scenario for people and it might also depend on the size of the organisation. What what could you say to people who might be feeling a little bit nervous that they don't know if they want time off or not? Sometimes you don't know how you're going to feel once you start having treatment.
3: Yeah, well, it's okay to not know. That's the first thing I'd say. There's going to be a lot that um, that you may not know uh particularly in the early stages. So, uh, it's okay to not know and I'd just be um, as open and transparent as, as you can. Um, of course, I say that with the expectation that of, of being reciprocated. Um, and there's a basic social norm of rec- called, uh, reciprocal commitment. And when uh, commitment is not reciprocated, one party will withdraw from the relationship um, and financial considerations rise to the surface. That's how uh, that's how it works. Um, so I think we, we should expect, uh, uh, and people with breast cancer should expect their employer and uh, to be supportive. Um, there's a requirement of the employer to be supportive. Um, and I think I would go into it with that mindset that they're going to be supportive. Now, of course, if that doesn't happen, as I said, that's an entirely different matter. And there are other uh, other avenues that you can go and we'll talk a bit, I'm sure we'll talk a bit, a bit more about that down the track, mm-hmm. as particularly as Lisa um, uh, tells more of her story.
1: So Lisa, you were having your treatment, which was extensive, and you knew you required that time off, when did you, feel like you wanted to get back to work or did you feel pressure to return to work?
2: I didn't feel pressure to return to work because um, with the particular income protection insurance policy I had, I actually had to, I couldn't do part-time work at at that point. I had to take time off. I had to be off for three months before it kicked in. So, um, and I didn't have a huge bank of sick leave. So, you know, you start churning through the money. Um, But I actually, um, you know, some people do Managed to work through chemotherapy. Even if I didn't have the um, the financial and the income protection insurance that I did, I couldn't have worked while I had six months of chemotherapy because I was sick as a dog. You know, I had this three-week cycle, and one of the three weeks I was on top of the world, but you know, um, the others I wasn't. So I wouldn't have been able to maintain um, working that would have been more disruptive. Um, And so I had, uh, because of those things and because of the work I was doing, it was agreed that someone would come in and do my job. They would backfill me. So um, I wanted to be ready to come back. Um, You know, I wanted to be um, in a good space when I was coming back. There was so much unknown, you know, and I could go into that and I was sort of open to that. Um, So I just thought, well, I'll... Not worry about that, that'll happen when it happens. And um, it wasn't until well after the radiotherapy, so it was 11 months later, um, that I felt that I could be back at work uh, part time, that I could actually commence coming back. Because until then, I was just so depleted. You know, I just felt like I'd been in a bar brawl and come out worse from it. You know, I was on the ground, I was just it was pretty rugged, you know, so I didn't feel great physically. Um, I was ready to return um, to come back to the workforce though at at about 11 months after diagnosis. And how did you approach that with your employer? I had been having conversations um, on and off over that time. Um, I'd been having the odd coffee um, with uh, my manager and I would had maintained contact with uh, people in my team and, um, and a couple of others as well. So there'd been that contact so it was and the person who was filling in for me was always reassuring to say when you're ready to come back I'll, I'll be easing out so it could be this nice fluid transition back um, and again I think you get that up front people say that but then when you're out of the picture for a while the risk of being off totally and not sort of hovering around part-time and people seeing you going through the ringer is that um, well I can't speak for them but um, you know I just think it, it it's kind of you're, you're a, an ongoing reminder to them of what's going on. Whereas for me, I was out of the picture. And then when I wanted to come back, I'd, I started having those conversations to say, yeah, I'm feeling ready for this now. Um, and so we were, you know, talking about the work that I would do. Um, and then when we were working out the plan, that's when the wheels fell off. How did they fall off? They... Fell off pretty spectacularly. (laughs) Um, Being an HR manager, I was aware of um, it was a return to work arrangement, but not for a a work uh, sustained injury. So um, we're following a model of, okay, a part time uh, return to work, get sign off from your doctor and let's work out how much time that is um, over the week. So I was starting off, um, you know, very small, um, you know, a short day and then going to build from that and um, the work that was scoped out for me to do was in my job Um, and the idea was that um, they were happy with all of that but they wanted me to report to the person in my role and I said how do you come up with that (laughs) and it was quite shocking me because, you know, when you've been in that bar brawl and you're standing up, it just felt like a kick in the guts and I was back down again. I just didn't understand why, with medical sign-off, I would be required to report to my role. So I was made to feel like I was, um, well, I don't know what their intention was, um, but I felt like I was an annoyance, uh, that I was ungrateful.
1: Like they had to do it?
2: Um, Yeah, and I should just shut up and take it. And come back, what's my problem? So there was an absolute lack of understanding demonstrated to me at that time. And it's not the me that's sitting here today who's feeling strong. It was a very depleted, um, you know, person who was told, no, what's your problem? Take this all, you know. So they were
1: happy for you to return gradually on a part-time basis, Mm. but it was reporting to the person who was filling in for you. Yep. Greg, listening to that story, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Uh, I think it highlights um, the problem of employers not understanding um, their employee and their circumstances um, and or a complete absence of understanding. Um, Lisa, that's quite upsetting to hear that sort of treatment because I said Earlier, you know, I think everyone should expect uh, support um, and understanding, and I think that's where you, that's your starting point. Um, clearly, that was not reciprocated <laughs> um, in your case, and that's quite uh, quite upsetting to hear that. Um,
1: Would you suggest, though, that it actually started well? So when you when yeah. you're talking about a reciprocal arrangement, the goodwill and mm. the understanding seem to be there. And yeah. Lisa obviously had a good understanding mm. of it being being in HR and most people would not have that greater understanding of the way it should mm. be. So quite often mm. people feel that they should be grateful for what they're being offered rather than what they actually, you know, are entitled to or but need.
3: That, that, that's clearly not the case though to feel that you should feel uh, or be put in that position to feel that way. Lisa, at all, um, and particularly at a time as you said, you were feeling, um, you know, you were exhausted and your, were, um, were depleted. Your energy was depleted, so not, not as you are today. So I, I really think that um, it perhaps also underlines another point is that uh, you raised Lisa about you not being around. The reality is, if you've been out of the workplace or out of, uh, for, for some time. Um, then uh, things will have changed in the organisation. You know, sometimes for the better, maybe sometimes for the worse, but they, but they will have changed and adjustments um, are going to be necessary. It might be uh, that even qualifications, if someone's in a role that requires new qualifications or a new piece of training they need to come up to speed with, um, it might involve something like that, or it could just be the management's changed from when you left. Um, now, th- th- you're not responsible for any of that, but you have to deal with the consequences of it. And um, and I think uh, as much as you can to stay um, in tune with what's going on in the organisation is a good thing. Um, but as Lisa said, you know, when you're going through lots of treatment and perhaps it's the last thing you want to be doing is having conversations with your employer when you're doing everything; all your energy's going on into your health, which is where it should be. Um, so,
1: so Lisa, where did you go to from there? Did you try it, or did you know straight away that that wasn't going to work for you? Uh, I kept negotiating. I kept.
2: I, I thought, this is an entitlement. What's gone wrong here? I thought, how can you know? I was, I was actually quite naive, thinking, thinking of the the previous relationship, the professional relationship we've had, and um, I kept saying. You know, gently at first, because the last thing I wanted to do was pick a fight, and I'm trying to just sort of just come back to work. And um, so there was a bit of toing and froing, and the uh, and I was the one suggesting alternatives to that um, to try to find some middle ground. That certainly was not the case from the employer. And um, so then, after much toing and froing, I thought I need to get a lawyer um, because you know I believe I'm. Um, a union member, I believe in unions, and I think this is it. You know, who's going to advocate for you when you can't? And I hadn't thought ahead to a bad health situation and um, it had been an organisation with a very good culture and I was the HR manager. We had supported other people who'd been out for several months as managers and needed to return to work and I had, you know, directly... Uh, been involved in people returning that way Um, and the last thing I thought was that I would have this situation it was so I was quite stunned it took me a while to understand um, where we were at with that Um, and you know you just see people are coming from their own perspective and I don't know how they frame it to think it was okay I got glimpses of it but um yeah, I, I just needed to get a lawyer. I just needed an advocate because um, it was doing me in. You know, like because when you're still in that recovery stage, you're not sleeping well. You don't have energy. Um, it's precious. The energy you have is so precious, and I felt it was being wasted and burnt on trying to work out what's going on and how do we move ahead with this? How do I get back to work? Because financially I was depleted too. You know, I was the main wage earner in the family. Income protection insurance was half my income. So I needed to get back to work um, and I was really keen to. But um, getting a lawyer was great because it changed the dynamic. Um, It didn't resolve the issue for then. What it meant was through that process, they said, no, I can't come back to my role part time as HR manager, but that they would keep it open for me to the two year anniversary of my diagnosis and going off on leave, so I accepted that. You know, we tried to negotiate an exit, and I again was not made to feel that I was um, being reasonable. So um, I thought, oh well, I'll hang in there because the last thing I want to do is actually go for a job, as if you're, you know, you've my hair was still growing back from you know. <laughs> I wasn't feeling um, great, and then with that treatment too. Professionally, I felt very vulnerable as well. So, I mean, I could have gone to the Human Rights Commission, and I, you know, I, I considered making a complaint that way because a legal process would have been too expensive. But I, I, I again was just feeling too vulnerable that you know, if word gets out, I'm going to look like trouble, you know. And an HR manager who's taken their their um, organisation to the Human Rights Commission, you know we not getting another job. That's
1: how I felt at the time. You know? And I, I don't think you'd be alone there. People mm. don't want to rock the boat. Mm. And especially after they've been through such an emotionally and physically draining experience, mm. uh, not just breast cancer, any traumatic experience, it sounds really stressful on top of everything else. That might have just been mm. a, another added burden to what might have been hindering your recovery. Because as we know from breast cancer treatment, the post-treatment adjustment can take up to two years anyway. So just when you're actually physically uh, starting to move forward and when your emotional system is coming off hold, which is what it goes into when you start treatment, you go into survival mode. Mm. So just as you're starting to come out of that and the emotional uh, system is catching up and you're trying to get Back, or we don't go back. We move forward to to the next stage, and you've got this on top of you as well. It's an enormous stress. It was dreadful. And what gets me is it—it's a stress that didn't have to happen. And Greg, uh, I would imagine you're listening to Lisa, thinking it certainly did not need to happen. How can how can people try and avoid those sort of scenarios? It sounds like Lisa did everything she she should have, and yet the outcome was. Fell very short.
3: Was, was subpar. Wow. Yeah. But look, uh, firstly, Lisa, listening to the steps that you took, and I can kind of feel some of the, the gaps in between uh, all those steps. Um, in in just the way that you were you were t- telling your story, that you you did everything that was reasonable from your end to do trying to negotiate, which is all the things, uh, Kelly, I would say. Negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. And I, I know Lisa said, look, I just kept negotiating, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And I think what I'd say is, no, well, I'm not a lawyer, and I can't give lawyer uh, legal advice, of course, but what I would say from my observations, and not just with this, but with, with other employees in a similar situation where the employers are uh, not being reasonable, and you're doing everything you can that's reasonably possible by connecting correctly, by being open and honest, providing all the information that you that you can possibly provide. Given that there might be some information that's just not known. In my wife's case, she my wife was diagnosed with early breast cancer in 2009. It was with triple negative, and I can remember I was with her oncologist at the time and he said, Look, with with triple negative the, the stats uh, about treatment go out the window. They just we don't have enough, I don't know, maybe ten years on, twelve years on that's changed. But but then he said, Look, the stats aren't there to um, to determine what is the best treatment. Here's a whole lot of websites to go and visit on research, go away and, and have a look at it and come back and tell me what you what you think you'd like to do. So there it was uh, in, in my wife's case, and she, at um, least, had an excellent employer. They provided, like, every bit of support, everything you could possibly expect from an the employer they did. And for me, I think that's, Kelly, a time to step up. It's a time for employers listening to this, if uh, in this podcast. It's a real chance to step up. I've got a, a saying for leaders, and it, it is, um, you know, you get the culture you deserve. And I think not only is... Uh, someone like Lisa involved, but all your other employers sitting around and watching what you do as a leader to what you're doing to that person and will be making their own judgments about it. And when perhaps when they've got lots of opportunities and options to go elsewhere, they might just very well exercise those options, maybe not at that moment, but a time down the track where they remember what they saw happen to, in this case, to Lisa. So um, the last thing I'd say about it is that, Is that if you've done all of that, and this is what Lisa did, I would say lawyer up. Um, The the one of the problems with lawyering up is it can add more stress, and that may be not something that you want at that time. So as a sort of qualifier there, and I think Lisa, you spoke of that um, because uh, just because of the nature of what has to be done. But I wouldn't hesitate if your rights uh, are really being violated in this in that way to go to a lawyer. And that would be my recommendation, but only after you've exhausted every reasonable uh, option. And if the employer is just uh, hell bent on being unreasonable, then I would play the lawyer card because you will find them, uh, as Lisa found, the conversation will change instantly overnight.
0: Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos, and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or
1: sign up online at myjourney.org.au. As Lisa pointed out, uh, lawyering up can be expensive. How do you know when what you're hoping for or asking for is reasonable? What is determined by reasonable and especially like if you're in a physical job that requires physical uh, expectations? What what, who and what deems reasonable?
3: Yeah. Look, I, I think this is where the common sense test comes in. Um, you can refer to legislation and to the Fair Work Act and the Discrimination Act um, that, are, that are, are quite explicit about the way in which employers uh, should treat employees. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd certainly... the One thing I would say is... It, um, it's worth actually spending a bit of time just to educate yourself on that. It's not particularly difficult. It's uh, the, on those websites, uh, either the Discrimination Act or the Fair Work Act, you'll be able to find in very simple terms, in perhaps in a general sense of what, what can be expected. Um, a lot of it is common sense rather than just relying on the law. And that's that's what I'd say about lawyering up. It's, it's better if you can appeal to your employer's better sense about what what is reasonable and determine that between each other um, than relying on legislation or, or legal processes but if all of that fails then the lawyers will step in and they will be very clear about uh, what they expect for their client um, and uh, but it's but it will add it does add stress and Lisa I'm not sure if you perhaps want to say more on that but uh, you just have to be aware of that that um, it, it adds another layer of complexity, but sometimes um, you've got to do it not, and I wouldn't have any hesitation saying to someone if they've exhausted all those avenues to do that.
1: Where did it end up, Lisa? Like what did you were you able to negotiate? did Does it have a happy ending?
2: Oh, I'm in a very happy place. <laughs> um, it, it continued to be unpleasant, though. Um, and, yeah, just as Greg was saying, like I I knew a lot of this industrial information, um, but I did double-check on the Fair Fair Work site. I did contact Fair Work. I looked at the Human Rights Commission information. I looked at our work policies on all of this to see that, you know, what I was seeking was reasonable. Um, and I think that, yeah, when, when you get the sense that um, an employer is not being reasonable having three of those conversations and getting the same result, just they, they're they not going to turn around on the third or fourth and go, oh, yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I see what you're saying now. Um, and it's interesting that it, it, is, it was, in my case, it was left to me to try and negotiate something, which is odd when it's the, the person who's feeling, you know, knocked about. Um, when I got that extension of my um, unpaid leave from them, my income protection insurance continued. Um, I got the sense that the the management changed. Um, uh, I got the sense that as this new manager made no contact with me as the months rolled by, that I wasn't really going to be the person that that individual wanted to work with in this role. So again, because I was in my role, I saw the writing on the wall that I thought they will not want me back, and. As much as I didn't want to have to get another job, I also thought, I don't think they want me back. Nothing tells me they want me back. Not not the wonderful team of colleagues, but that senior layer where that, that sets the culture, um, there was no support from that layer, even those who were bystanders to stuff, um, and you know, I subsequently heard from one of them who I had respected. Um, She made inadvertent contact with me um, a year or so later. And I said, how did that happen? And she said, you know, these aren't her words, but that they were all just sort of ducking for cover. They They felt vulnerable. And I thought, well, I understand that, but you left the person who's had cancer and rugged cancer treatment on their own. So... That wasn't great. And so I actually didn't want to work with those senior managers. I couldn't picture myself going back into the workplace without feeling sick. I just thought, I can't do that. I'm not. And I thought, I oh, would. it's my backup, but um, it's the backup I had. But I started looking for another job. And I thought... I need to create my own return to work and I can't go back full time at that point because, yeah, even though it was, um, it was about a year after active treatment but I would, but only a few months, actually it was less than that because I had Herceptin up until the January and um, I started to, I thought, well, yeah, they don't want me back either. So I sort of flipped it. I thought, I don't want to go back, I can't go back but they're not going to want me back. Um, so I started saying I was going to come back <laughs> and I started, because I thought, I'm going to force your hand, you know, pay me out. You know, I'd tried to do that. It was obviously the re- relationship was not tenable anymore, but they wanted me to just either shut up and come back. Um, and I knew I, w- I just wasn't going to, I couldn't do that. Um, you know, be the good girl, come back. It's like, you know, just take what you're given. And I thought, No. Nah. I actually don't want that. So yes, I thought, well, I'm going to share the discomfort here. And um, so I started talking about, oh, really looking forward to coming back. And um, yeah, lo and behold, there was a restructure and my job was made redundant. And I could see that coming a mile away um, because I thought that's the only way that they could really get rid of me. And um, I had already seen they had someone come in doing some project work and lo and behold, they got it. Um, But I just thought, no. No. I'm moving on. So I got that and I was very fortunate that um, I found a part-time job in a development area of HR, which is my passion. And um, I so I took a career step back because I needed, with a new organisation to learn, with my hair still, you know, at about three centimetres, that chemo afro. And (laughs) um, I thought I need to have a patch that I get Um, energy back on um, and I need to be kind to myself I can't take on the breadth of HR with a new organisation I'll just do this and it was three days a week and I didn't tell anyone there about um, you know I didn't disclose my health background and I found that extremely stressful doing the job interview I was delighted to get the job interview but I thought I need to be truthful in the interview and I was just praying they wouldn't ask me something that I had to fudge in some way just because I was feeling vulnerable. There wouldn't have been anything. They didn't know me from a bar of soap. There wouldn't have been anything about how I was presenting that would have um, made them, you know, question my abilities in the role. So I did the interview. But um, after I did that interview, I just had to pull the car over and just bawled my eyes out because just the stress of it. And I just thought, this didn't have to happen it was so much stress, um, so that was hideous. And I had some more surgery before I started in that job. And they were lovely; they deferred my start date back. I started um, doing work from home f- for the first few weeks so that I could commence in it. And I thought, oh God, where were you when I <laughs> needed you? And I thought, well, you're here now. I need you now, and you're here now.
1: Yeah. So you did. You took a, a step back in your work hours to move forward with your health, both physical. Yep. and mental, and
2: it was a, and it was a wage decrease as well. Mm. So you know, I had lost wages from
1: the behaviour of the employer, and then I had a career step back too. Yes, Greg, what are the final tips then for for those both, like you mentioned, potential employers listening, and and to those like Lisa that you've got to make some decisions, but it, it would appear that. Initial and ongoing conversations uh, are really important. And and to Lisa's point on, on not disclosing, what is, uh, what is the duty of care on both sides for that?
3: Well, uh, uh, as I understand it, you, you, uh, as an employee, you're not required to disclose um, your diagnosis. Um, but it's better in the long run to be open and honest about it, as Lisa was saying. So you, it, there's no requirement that compels anyone to disclose any aspect of their diagnosis. But as Lisa said, people will see, even if you don't say anything, people will see changes, um, physical changes in you if you're in treatment. So um, uh, my advice would be to, as Lisa said, to be open and honest and transparent um, as much as you can uh, with the expectation that that's going to be reciprocated. And I think for employers, uh, and and the more that you can do that, the better. Um, and I think for employers, um, there's an absolute opportunity to step up, and, and many do. Um, in when there's uh, when an is facing a situation where they need time off, whether it be through an illness or uh, family violence or whatever it is, it's a real opportunity. As Lisa said, it doesn't need to be like that. And it's a real opportunity for that employer to really show their values and how valuable they are as an employer to employees, and that will serve them much better um, on the retention stakes than just about anything else you can do. It'll build trust with your employees and not just with the person who's affected, but with your entire team, because they'll be watching and looking at how you respond. Um, And they will judge that uh, either warmly or harshly, depending on what the case may be. So I, my advice to employers, uh, for employers listening to this podcast, would be to really engage, um, under, do as much listening as you possibly can um, and try and gain as much understanding um, at a time when it's not maybe not even easy to understand. It may invoke fears in the employer too. They may feel sad and unsure about how to cope. So you know, there's an opportunity for, for the affected person to help them come across that bridge um, uh, in terms of their own understanding and develop that empathy. But that's that's the first thing I'd say is not rush the judgment, but take the time to understand the situation and ask ask the employee, you know, how can we help? What's going to work? And maybe even do a bit of your own research and look at some solutions. There's lots of really great uh, tips on the, the web about uh, you know, as Lisa was talking before about return to work, maybe it's a gradual return or perhaps it's less, less hours or or maybe with employees um, that there might be a job that you can swap with someone if you're, say, doing manual, uh, manual work where lifting's involved and that may not be possible um, when you first return to work. Um, then maybe there's a job you can swap. If you're perhaps a retail employee who is on your feet all day, that may not be also possible, but maybe you could perhaps do stock control or some other uh, work that in the, for a short period until you were well enough to do, go back to what you were doing before. There's lots and lots of options, but it needs both parties to come together and work out an agreed plan. And um, it sounds like Lisa, that was a, a fit, pretty much a big struggle in your case. Yeah, um,
2: yeah fair and but, reasonable uh, is, is important on both sides. Being fair and yeah, reasonable, um, right an employee on. needs to be fair and reasonable, and so does an employer. Um, and I think that, yeah, a slight inconvenience for an employer can make the world of difference to someone who's trying to get back.
3: Yeah, um, what, one of the one of the key elements for leaders in building uh, the right sort of connection with employees is trust and uh, it's an ideal way to show just how you can do that um, in a very, very strong way by uh, being able to supply, pro- provide the support, particularly when it may be tricky for the employee, to, the employer to do that, to go the extra mile. Um, and I'm sure most employees would return that kind of support in spades, in spades. Um, so I think there's you know, so many compelling reasons for why you do it rather than not do it that um, it's just just clear to me about what, what needs to be done.
1: Yes. Thank you both, Greg and Lisa, for joining us on Upfront today. Uh, if you've just been diagnosed with breast cancer and are working and need some resources, BCNA's My Journey has a range of them about work and breast cancer. Sign up by visiting myjourney.org. This podcast was brought to you with thanks to Suzanne. Don't forget to subscribe to Upfront About Breast Cancer, download, leave a rating and review, and complete the survey that you'll find in the show notes. And support BCNA through your organisation's workplace giving program and help BCNA empower people diagnosed with breast cancer to make informed decisions regarding finances and employment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Curtin. It's good to be up front with you.
0: BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network.